0: Struck as well. Um, I gotta get to the sermon, right? But I, I'm struck as well. Richard prayed already about the service that's happening across the street. I think it starts in 15 minutes or so. It's noon, right across the street. Uh, I referred to to this um, incident, this this death, in a sermon I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was just last week. I, I forget my own sermons, but uh, but Matthew Hutchinson, who was only 24 years old, I believe, and and lived right in this community, and had recently been going to university in upstate new york uh died in in a murder suicide um a couple of weeks ago and the community's gathering for the service and so uh um i mean we've prayed already but but i want to pray again i would interrupt my sermon and do it but i have no problem interrupting my sermon except i'll probably just forget um so can we pray again because these people are those people are going in right now into this place and you know this is one of the things where the gospel that we believe in changes funerals and memorial services, right? Uh, there will be at least some people there who death is the end. That's it. And uh, so we don't, we don't seek to, you know, talk about how our, the, the exclusiveness of our faith in that regard. That's not what we're talking about. We want to pray for people in that situation because that will be very, very difficult. So let's pray again together for what's going to start in just a few minutes. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are gathering. Some people in this congregation know the family. And so the the prayers we offer are different to them. Lord, would you bring um, your light and an awareness of your presence even as people gather. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless those who are gathering in that place. For we know in confidence that what you have done for us, you have done for all. Would you speak, Lord? Comfort those who mourn. And would you even, Lord, help some to know and be able to pray there will be Christians gathering there as well, that they could pray that your light would be known. So we thank you for our community and we pray a blessing on that service in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, okay. Sermon. There we go. We're talking about the Christian gospel and I'm now stopping because I'm looking at the next line I have and it just seems so blatantly obvious that I shouldn't say it. We're talking about the Christian gospel and we're doing so in church. I hope you knew you were in church. I think the reason I have that in my notes is to that we would remind each other that we are unlikely to hear the Christian gospel in many other places. You would need, most of the time, to come to church to hear the Christian gospel or be with some kind of gathering that, that would be the church the people of Christ gathered The default messages of the world, our culture right now, if you never went to church, if you just picked up the messages that are given to you by you know, marketing, advertising, how to make your way in the world, what are the default messages, the stories of this world? Well, they can seem appealing, and and partially they are. Enjoy your life, provide for yourself and your family, find happiness. Happiness is probably the default story. I just want my kids to be happy. They can seem appealing, but if you look a little bit deeper, the default messages of this world produce incredible amounts of anxiety and fear and competition. It's not to say that the world is terrible. I don't believe that. And I remind myself that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he turned towards the world, not away from it. But the Christian gospel is different than the stories, the default stories of our culture. Because in the Christian gospel, this is the slide. I think it's a distance thing lately with that, but we'll. um, This is the slide that we had up for the whole first half of Romans, and I've left it in the presentation. The Christian gospel, the goal is not death, but resurrection. Now, that's hard for some of us to understand. what What do we mean by that? I can't explain to you what I mean by that, and one day I'll show them to you, but I didn't want to do it this morning and take the time, but I'll take probably just as long to describe it. By describing a mutual fund ad, there's a, a series of these ads for, the, for sun life. Life is better under the sun. Did you know that? But S-U-N. Anyway, um, it's true, but S-O-N is, is the truth. And these ads, the, the, the uh, format that they, that they follow is to say, is to go through the stages of life i think from childhood or something and and so there's this and there's this and there's this you grow up you get your first car then you get another car you might you know you go to university maybe i'll get it out of order don't worry about that but you go to university you find someone you get married you buy your first place or something like that you go on vacation you do this you do and there's a, there's a series of the ads i think in one ad they have two sequences and one says then you have kids and of course there's the corresponding little icons and images and all the rest and they end with You know, and then you and the goal is what? For the mutual fund company, the goal is retirement. And at retirement it says, and then you live happily ever after. It's really curious. Then one of the ads says, you do this, you do this, skip the kids, which is almost like, yeah. But anyway. And then and then after you retire, you live happily ever after. What are they not mentioning? Death. I mean, they're probably not going to. They may, the closest they'll get is, say, leave something for those who come after. But why can't they mention death? Because death is the end of the ad. It's the one thing you can't say because it covers over everything else. But you can't say it. And for those, some of you now who struggle with some of the difficulties of aging, you would say, when I say, you retire and then you, re- and then you live happily ever after, some of you would say, Really? Because that's the phase I'm in right now. (laughs) Because in that default way of thinking in the world, death is the end. But in the Christian gospel, death is not the goal, the end. Resurrection is. God turns towards us in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God is present and His character is revealed in Jesus And the call for us is to live in the light of this, to love one another, and we're promised life to the full, even beyond death. This is faith. The gospel is outlined in Romans, this gospel is outlined in Romans chapters 1 through 8, and then chapters 9 through 11, which we've just worked through, are a theological consideration. And at the end, I called it a mic drop last week and lamely tried to emulate it i didn't try to be lame but i was uh this week i'll use a different metaphor and say it's not and richard read it for us it's not that he just drops the mic like in your face the better way of thinking of it actually is that paul finishes the theological section with a hymn it's a doxology good theology can't help but become prayer and worship did you know that Good theology can't help but become prayer and worship. Paul is setting out to anticipate people's theological questions, their practical questions about Christian faith, who is in and who is out. We've gone all through that. But as he finishes the section, he breaks out in a hymn. It's responsive. If you have never responded to the Christian gospel, the call in Romans is that you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. And if you, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, haven't prayed that, but by that presence of the Holy Spirit, you feel so compelled, we want to consistently give you opportunities to do that in this church. To say, yes. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth. Then you will be saved. You will be brought into this gospel light, which is for all people. But you can live as if God hasn't done this. Will you respond? And Paul, for probably more of us here, we have a similar thing to Paul, where we have prayed those prayers. We have believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth. But, you know, you live the Christian faith for a while, and it gets just kind of like another Sunday, another Sunday, another Sunday. And then you consider the things of God. You consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is present, and you can't help but break out into Him. That's our response. That we would delight in this faith. And some of you, like we mentioned last week, have lost what it means to delight in the gospel. You so desperately want other people in your family or other places to believe, but for some reason you've lost that delight. It is that delight that is evangelical. It's witness. So Paul ends with this hymn, and then we get to, and I liked when Norma read it, because it was when she said, today's reading is chapter 12, I was like, We get past 11 now. Chapter 12 and following to chapter 16. Living in the light of the gospel. Living in the light of God's mercy. And we get this. And some of that's in the section we read. And others, you know, if you flip forward in chapters, there's wonderful headings and you'll see the things that are coming. Paul's going to start to say things like this. Often... People will think of this section of Romans as um, a section about ethics, you know, how to live your life. And I said it myself: how to live in the light of the gospel. But it's also helpful to understand it as the end of ethics. By end, I don't mean that they don't exist anymore. I mean that if you become, if you can become Christ-like, or if you consider the character of Christ, you don't have to teach Jesus how to be ethical. He lives his life out of this identity and character. So Paul's going to say things that sound ethical, but in a way they're the end of ethics. Don't consider yourself better than others. Just imagine if we actually live that way in this world. Remember that you are a body. You is plural. You together are a body. So this privilege of gathering as the church, you don't have to compete with one another. You don't have to be suspicious of one another. You can come into this place and feel, I am so glad that I am here with these other people. Even the people that you see the world differently than. Even the people that you disagree with. You are a body. Bless even those who are against you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Submit to authorities. This is a call to good citizenship. You have one debt always. This will come up later in Romans, and we'll get there. I love this in this world where we just either we're we're um, caught under debt. In North Vancouver, this is very common. We're caught under debt or we, we celebrate when we don't have any debt as if that's like the, a wonderful possibility. I've never considered it myself, but anyway. This, this is a great way of thinking about debt because it's a Christian way of thinking about debt. And it says, just remember whether you're celebrating that you aren't in debt or whether you're like, I'll never ever pay my mortgage off. That's right. Just remember this. You always have one debt that you'll never be able to pay. Now, that's like alarming for some of you. No, it's a gift. You always have the debt of love to one another because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll never finish paying that one. But it's unto life. Do not judge. Imagine if we carried that. Care for others and don't cause others to stumble. And at the end of the book, we are reminded that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. This message is of salvation. And you have heard it and you are witnesses to it. Oh, is that not? I might just stop and give up because I keep interrupting myself. Look at that. Uh, 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 uh. Now we're going 25. Well, sermon's over. After the hymn and the crescendo at the end of chapter 11, there's this end, amen how you know it's him as well the first word in chapter 12 is therefore and good students know that therefore sends you back again so we've just i've told you i'm relieved to be done i love it by the way too chapters 9 through 11 but you're kind of relieved to be done you're finally getting to chapter 12 we're going we're going we're going we're going first word in chapter 12 depending on the translation you're reading is therefore oh no we got to go back again because to understand the therefore you've got to go back to what just happened and what do you get before Well, it's back to the hymn. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. What's Paul getting at here? What's he doing? What kind of energy is contained in the therefore? Paul is considering all that he has just said in this theological argument about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can watch how this happens. I don't have to make it up. I mean, I've got it ready in my notes, but I also know in the Holy Spirit that I can say these things and I don't just tell them to you as if I'm teaching them to you or reminding you of them. I say them and I believe them in faith in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So I say, here, we'll try it. God is good. God has turned towards us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the character of God. In Christ, you need not fear condemnation or separation. From this God of life. And in Christ you are called to live in the light of this love. I can teach you. But when I start saying it, I get caught up in praise. And as Paul has outlined the gospel, he is caught up in worship. And for Paul, it's not his speech that is compelling. What is compelling is God's speech. When God speaks and reveals, it is It is miracle. When we're filled with awe at the work of salvation and the goodness of God, then we take up see this, then we take up the most vigorous action of the Christian church. Then and now. The most vig- now this has to work now because this is like a really important point. The most vigorous action of the Christian church is this bearing witness. This is called in your life. The call is to live your faith. But in the living of your faith, you bear witness. You don't decide, I'm going to go witness now. That's an earthly way of thinking of it. If you live in the light of the gospel, if you're caught up, if I can say in my life things like, God is good. God has turned towards us. God has salvation. What He has done for me, He has done for all. If I can say that, then my life will bear witness. Sermon is a setup, this one, for the rest of the book. Placing it within a frame of understanding, and these are the key words, bearing witness. So let's read the text again. Therefore, I appeal to you in light of God's mercies. That's all the things he's just told you about. Chapters 1 through 8, and then again in the theological argument. I appeal to you in light of God's mercy. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Does this sound good to you? It should. And maybe this morning it does. The problem is, in my experience, historically, this text in Scripture has not often sounded really good. It sounded for many like a burden rather than a gift. Like the minister is saying, therefore, present your body as a living sacrifice. And then you get to words like holy and acceptable, and then you really know. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed. I can say it that way, right? Does that sound good? Which is right. You tell me, well, you need a balance. I'm not into the balance. I'm into God's 100%. And in this way of reading it, Paul turns more into an ethicist than a worshiper. You know the difference in Christian faith? Don't. But when it's gift... Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Same content. It can ring like judgment. Are you presenting your... I'll just ask you. I'll I'll walk around the room and take forever, and we'll ask everyone, are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice? And most of you are going to have an answer. First of all, you're going to go, why are you bothering me? But then you're going to have an answer. You're going to say, many of you would say it in one way. I don't really know what you're talking about. But I'm going to say no. Because, you know, we could always be doing more, I guess, is the answer. I want to draw this picture out a little bit. If we have an oppressive, negative, or harsh view of this language, then the the way that we are as a church is reflected how we live in in this community, in the light of the gospel. A lot more head-shaking, a lot more upset at the world. An anemic church, an anemic faith, and the temptation to judge others even more, to say, well, I can't say with confidence that my life is a living sacrifice, but I know it is more than them. Not the content or the energy of this text. I read a devastating book recently, and I recommend it. I should, I should have had it um, up on the screen for you, but I don't. Uh, I don't have a picture of it that I that I found. It's actually by a young, so he's forty something, early forties, a young man writing letters to his teenage son. He's African American, and he's talking about the African American experience, particularly for young men, but for the whole of a culture. He grew up in Baltimore, and it was where streets were violent, and there was violence was everywhere. Violence on the streets, violence from the authorities. And he said, even if you had loving parents, even if your parents really loved you, cared for you, and they weren't mean or harsh or anything, they would often beat you because they were so afraid if you didn't live your life twice as good as everybody else, particularly white people, then at any given time you could face violence and nobody would have to explain themselves whether they were a police officer or... And he said, so this fear was everywhere. Fear was prevalent and he said, you know, you could see it in the boys on the corner, and the, the way they would parade themselves with their clothes and their language and their violence. But he said he learned pretty pretty early on as a young person that that was all just out of fear. And he's a good writer. His name's Tanahasi Coates. At the end of the book, he's he's actually atheist as well. And as I read the book, I told myself, I thanked God. That sounds strange, right? I thanked God for his atheism. Don't worry, I'm not saying all the end, all that. But I told myself, a Christian never could have written this book because a Christian has too much hope. And this man, what he says is, when that Michael Brown, whoever it is, is killed by police or this violence on the street takes another young African-American life, there's no better tomorrow. That's it. And so what it does is it confronts you with this stark reality. He speaks highly of faith. He says that my friends had Christian faith growing up because in the African-American community it's very present. And he said, but I never had the comfort of faith. He's a good writer. I recommend reading the book. At the end of the book, he is at this point living in France. I think he's still there now with his family. And he recounts a scene of walking around the neighborhoods of Paris with a friend who had lived in France for longer, so was showing him around Paris. This is before the recent violence there. He says, uh, With this friend we drank a bottle of red wine and we ate meats. That's plural, meats. And if you've been to Paris, you know why the word meats can be plural. We ate meats and piles of bread and cheese. And I asked myself, was this dinner? Do people do this? And we went to see old buildings, he said, around every corner of the city and the entire time my friend was leading me i was sure that he was going to make a quick turn into some alley where some dudes would be waiting to strip me of what exactly and as my friend walked away and said bonsoir watching him i felt that i'd missed part of the experience and this is his quote i'd missed part of the experience because of my eyes Because my eyes were made in Baltimore. Because my eyes were blindfolded by fear. His eyes, of course, what he means, he's a good writer, what he means is his view of the world was formed in his childhood on those streets. And he couldn't see otherwise anymore. Your eyes have been formed. Formed by a default worldview. This is in the secular regard. Formed by a culture that says, make your way, enjoy yourself as much as you can, get as much as you can, maybe help some people along the way. But build up walls of security so you can tell yourself, I have enough that I don't need to worry. Build up walls of security that would be economic or walls of status so at least you have an identity in the world or even walls of health. Your eyes have been formed by this secular culture. Some of you, and in church we have to mention this, some of our eyes have been formed by religion. And here I don't mean gospel. Here I mean the religion that we can pick up even in well-meaning churches. The religion that says God is mostly disappointed, shaking his head at the world. And we can say thank God for religion because religion offers this great hope that people can get cleaned up. So get your act together. If your eyes had been formed by either of these ways or by a combination of them, like ta Coates, you could say about the gospel, I couldn't see it. Because my eyes were formed in Baltimore. That's why Paul starts chapter 12 by saying, Therefore, I, what? Urge you. I appeal to you. He's trying to give you new eyes. See that? He's trying to help you see the gospel that he's just described. And then he's trying to do this beautiful call. And again, that you could say each person, each person, everyone here. He's trying to do this beautiful call then to say, now please put your name in here. To say, you, now. I urge you to live your life in light of the mercies of God. Present your body as a living sacrifice. So, this is a book. For, this is a quote from a book of theology. But I want to read it to you because it, it's a little bit like Paul's hymn. And so we are brought back again and again to stand before the hidden depth of his riches, his possibility, his life, and his glory, before the hidden depth of his wisdom, his thoughts, his judgments, his way, before the hidden depth of the knowledge by which he knows us before we know him, and by which he holds us to himself. Now hear, therefore. Live your light in life of God's mercies. Do you see how this is a positive call? It's not measurement. It's not that thing that you do to me so often where you say to me either in words or with your eyes, do you think God is okay with and whatever it is you've done? When you say those things to me, I, I want gospel for you. Correction that's often required in evangelical circles, and I, I'm careful about saying this, I'll explain it a little bit, but the correction that's often required in evangelical circles is to remember that mission, mission is an attribute of God, not a function of the church. Diff- Daniel actually described it for us here. Christ's mission, the gospel in the whole world. Mission is an attribute of God. That's the original language in Scripture. Scripture. That it's part of God's character. That God is pouring out his love and salvation in this world. The church doesn't have to take up mission. The church's function is to bear witness. So will the church do things and function and go and help people and go and help change lives? Of course. But it is God who is the missionary. It's it's very important to understand this. It's why some of you can feel a sense of awkwardness at times around Christian project after Christian project after Christian project. Like thing after thing after thing. And there's too many and you don't know what. God, God's character is mission. Mission's a part of his character. And our, our role is to bear witness to this. God is accomplishing the work of salvation. And our mission is to live in the light of his mercy. And that might mean that you wind up, of all places, in Nepal. Why? Why? Because if Daniel wasn't there, God wouldn't be working? He doesn't think that. I know he doesn't think that. Because God's accomplishing his mission in every place in this world. And we bear witness. It's why, and you said there's not really any Christians in the Yangri, and that's the place you're referring to. And we've heard again Heather telling us to, like one Christian there bearing witness. And look what happens. But she didn't bring God there. Our most vigorous action is to bear witness. And this is the further grace that we become involved in God's work in the world. I pray this all the time. And I, I mean, I hope you're okay with this. When, whenever I get up to preach, I remind myself of how insane it is. It's nuts that somebody would stand here and say, let me tell you what God thinks. Why would you people listen to anybody who does that? And I remind myself like that in, in humility, I hope. And I pray, and this is how I pray about my own life. God, isn't it enough that you revealed yourself to me? Isn't it enough that you speak to us and offer us salvation and life, even in light of our own sins? Isn't it enough that you love us to promise us life to the full? And then I do this, I pray this. But now, you include us in your work in the world? It's all grace. This is so far from, look, after all God has done for you, the least you can do is clean up your act. In the early church, where we get Romans, where we have the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the apostolic strategy is not to go out and save souls. Did you know that? The apostolic strategy in the early church is to form Witnessing communities. We've just prayed for the service across the street. And we can't do it because it would be the weirdest thing ever. But in spirit we do it. We have a presence there. We couldn't all walk across the street and say, we're here from the church to let, maybe, maybe one day. But our, our role is to be formed as a witnessing community to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord will save souls. If you reduce the gospel to the savedness of the person. I did have a slide for this. But if you reduce the gospel to the savedness of the person, you miss it. It's curious. Salvation is the one thing we don't have to worry about. Because it's not our business. It's God's. And he's given it. We know scripturally God blesses us. Our role is to believe and to confess. And then to bear witness. We witness to the salvation of what God has done for all. And if you, if, you, if you have experienced God's saving love, then you will be witnesses. The vocation, which means call, purpose, meaning in life, the vocation of a Christian is not savedness. And that's how a lot of us have thought sometimes, picked up growing up, that I have to be as saved as I can be. Right? The vocation of a Christian scripturally is Witness. Therefore, now I join Paul and I do it with him joining his voice. I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to witness to this gospel. And you can do it anywhere you go. I used to pray about this when I was a hockey coach in a hockey dressing room. Lord, would you let me be a witness to your gospel in this place, at your work, Wherever you are, and there isn't one of us—not one of us—who has called upon the name of the Lord. Not one. Doesn't matter our age. Doesn't. Not one of us who's called upon the name of the Lord, who is not a witness. And I want to send you out again in joy. I want you to recover this word. Some of you who have lost it. Do you know that you have been called to witness to the gospel of God, the hope of this world, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you seen this gospel? Have you responded to the love of God in Christ? If you haven't, then I invite you to do that. To pray, Lord Jesus, yes. I put my trust in you. But guess what you get to do now? And for those of us who've been Christians for any amount of time, you get to give yourself to this. You you get to let go of your life unto more life. And what's left is freedom. And that's why it's the freedom that allows you to hear these things again. Don't consider yourself better than others. In light of the gospel, what is that? It's absolute freedom. I don't have to consider myself better than anybody else. Love those even who are against you. That's freedom in the gospel of Christ, not burden. Work together as a body, and God is working, and he has called you. We can take the language of this text, the conform and transform language. It's why I purposely don't focus on it in this sermon. We can take that language and make it small. And as a young Christian, when I heard, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, I... I think i jumped to assumptions but i think people also told me i've told you before well i guess what it means to not be conformed to the pattern of this world is i've got to throw out all my secular records or at the time cassettes because i'm old i thought that's what it meant oh it's so much bigger than that you're called to live in the light of gospel Because of my eyes, maybe, and how they were formed, I couldn't see that. What comes before this text and what comes after it? I don't, this is gift now, I don't have to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I don't have to think the same thing about death. I don't think the same thing about the end. I don't think the same thing about suffering. Everything's different. It's freedom, it's transformation, the renewal of my mind, which is another way of saying, you'll be given new eyes. And even better than piles of meat and bread and cheese, this is how the text ends. Even better than piles of meat and bread and cheese, you will begin to discern what is acceptable and good and perfect. Do you see the gift that this text is? I'm not the master theologian that Paul is, and I feel small and insignificant in comparison. But I do believe this and I'd stand here and say it even though I'm flawed and wreck and whatever else. I'm no master theologian but I do believe this. I can bear witness. As can you. And so with Paul I urge you present your bodies the whole of your life as living sacrifices because this world so desperately needs the light of the gospel. You don't have to be afraid. When you hear the word sacrifice, what do you think? You think, oh no, that means that money I gave is gone. That means that life I gave is over. That's how we think of sacrifice. That's what the word really means. You give something up. The pro- one of the problems and blessings is that in Christian understanding, the word sacrifice takes on a whole different meaning. This is the sacrifice. And we serve a risen Lord. You know, of course, that Paul had that in mind when he used the image, living sacrifice. This isn't unto your death. This is unto your life. It's a beautiful picture. And so we end with this poem that I love. I use it probably once a year, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. John Donne, Sonnet. Batter my heart, 3 personed God, for you as yet but knock and breathe, shine and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. But I am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie, or break that knot again. Take me to you, Imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. Knock, breathe, shine, o'erthrow, bend your force, blow, burn, make me new, take me to you, enthrall me, ravish me. Church is not where you go to work on yourself. I mean, you might do that. I mean, we could all use a little bit of that. Like, I need a little help in life. Someone needs to tell me how to be a good husband. The church is a good place for that. It might be, but that's not gospel. Church is not where you go to find out how right you are. I hope. Church is not where you go to have a great experience. Your worship was fantastic today. Give it a seven. Or even an eight, maybe. This is where we gather To be reminded the one true truth, the gospel of God, his mission of salvation. We gather to hear, to respond, and then to be sent bearing witness. It's not what you think. You're not alone in this world. This verse is not, this text is not a burden. There is a gospel of hope and life and light. And that light will never be overcome by darkness. Let's pray. Again, we say if you have never prayed to open your heart your mind to the Gospel, then we invite you to do so today. You could do so even just here. Dear Jesus Christ, say this just in your mind, your heart, as a prayer. Dear Jesus Christ, would you show me what you have done for me? I give my life to you and I put my trust in you. If you have lost that delight, I pray for you and you could pray, Heavenly Father, help me to see this gospel is the hope of the world, but that it's positive. Forgive me for my own failing in seeing that and for taking up at times a view of the world that is more about darkness than light. And let me put my trust in you again. Lord God, help us to hear what you would say to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Let's stand, please. A thousand times I've failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all. Ending, your glory goes beyond all things. In my heart and my soul, Lord, I give You control. Consume me from the inside out. Oh Let justice and praise become my embrace. To love You from the inside out. Oh Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside. remains God of losing myself in bringing you the everlasting the light will shine when all else waits never ending your, your glory goes beyond all faith. in my heart and my soul Lord I give you control consume, consume me from Justice and praise Become my embrace To love you from the inside
0: Prayer exercise as we uh, conclude our service. It's why uh, worship directing, and you see sometimes on a thing it's, it'll say closing song, and, and you're reminded by good worship uh, directors, theologically sound, that there's no such thing as a closing song in the Christian church. It's impossible. It's ascending song, always ascending song, and it's ascending prayer. And I want to do a little prayer exercise with you now. It won't take long, just a moment. But I want you to have the words that I'm about to say come over this place. And this is particularly for Christians. So bear with us if that's not where you're at. But it's a bit of a recovery for us because the word witness has been a dangerous one in the church. The word mission has too. If you go and ask your non-Christian friends about Christian mission, you're not going to get great answers. I'll just tell you that. And that's because sometimes the church forgets that mission is an attribute of God, not a function of the church first. So the words that I want to come down kind of from here is, for all of us as Christians, and they're simply this, blessed to be a witness. You are blessed to be a witness. Wherever you're going today, wherever you are this afternoon and tomorrow, whether you're around the whole other side of the world. It's why there isn't distance between us, because we are blessed to be witness. So now go. Be sent into this world doing what Christians are supposed to do and can only do naturally if they know this faith. Bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of this world. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.